Welcome to Hoosier Ag This Week, a recap of this week's top news in Indiana agriculture. I'm C.J. Miller with Hoosier Ag Today. Joining me are Andy Eubank, Eric Pfeiffer, and Elise Koning, plus Chief Meteorologist Ryan Martin with your Indiana Farm Forecast on the way. Coming up, you'll hear from one of Indiana's state senators who is pushing a bill that would clear up confusion on two different sets of Indiana floodplain maps. Also, Eric Pfeiffer reports how the Indiana State Board of Animal Health and Indiana's poultry producers are now taking measures year-round to prevent the spread of avian influenza. But first, now that Mexico's ban on importing GMO corn is almost a year away, two of Indiana's congressmen have written a letter pushing the Biden administration's top ag trade officials to take the next step against Mexico. When agreements are not enforced, it incentivizes people to continue to break the rules. So we need to make sure that our administration continues to uh, enforce that agreement and that they will to go back for our future farmers. And that's Indiana Congressman Rudy Yockum talking about the letter that he and Congressman Greg Pence have written to both of the new top ag trade officials in the Biden administration. Both Pence and Yakum are pushing the top ag trade officials to step up their pressure on Mexico. In this particular letter, we focused on what Mexico is trying to do in banning, let's call it banning, and, and I don't want to get too accusatory, but banning genetically engineered corn. Indiana Congressman Greg Pence. I know that a decision will be made very shortly. Hopefully, uh, Rudy and my letter is going to kind of motivate him to bring this to a resolution, whether or not both the chief agriculture negotiator and undersecretary will begin, let's call it, enforcement action under the USMCA. Yakum adds that both he and Pence are also pushing for more Indiana ag exports as part of trade negotiations. You know, agricultural products uh, and exports are such a key component of Indiana's economy. As we in Indiana, we're the eighth largest ag exporting state in the country. We, we make world-class products here. We grow world-class uh, agricultural products here. You know, with a level playing field, Hoosier exports, they win every day. And so all we're asking for is to make sure that we maintain that level playing field and that our United States government enforce the existing agreements on the books. You can read that letter from Congressman Pence and Yakum and co-signed by all of Indiana's seven Republican representatives at HoosierAgToday.com. Well, as your lawmakers in the House deal with the issue of Mexico's upcoming GMO corn ban, Eric Pfeiffer reports now how lawmakers in the Senate are tackling that same issue. We're making the hardest job God created even more difficult. And that's Indiana Republican Mike Braun at a recent Farm Bill trade hearing, obviously talking about farming, but more specifically, Mexico's plans to ban GMO corn imports by 2024. Braun was joined by other GOP ag state senators in calling on USDA and USTR officials to bring USMCA trade action against Mexico. I was Chuck Grassley questioned USDA Undersecretary for Trade Alexis Taylor why the White House moved aggressively against Canada on dairy but not so far against Mexico for its planned GMO corn ban. Why has the Biden administration not established such a dispute settlement process under USMCA 
panel with Mexico on this issue of uh, GMOs. Undersecretary Taylor insisted the administration is standing up to Mexico on science-based trade under USMCA. This is a fundamental principle from the United States on what a global trading system is built upon and not something that we can walk away from or negotiate away from. Um, we continue to have those conversations with our Mexican counterparts um, and we're reserving all the rights awarded to us under uh, USMCA. But Taylor stressed the administration is still productively engaging with Mexico and hopes to resolve the dispute without disrupting trade and harming U.S. growers and Mexican livestock producers. I'm Eric Pfeiffer. Thank you, Eric. Well, one of Indiana's largest ag companies is expanding even further. Co-Alliance has announced plans to grow their animal nutrition and swine production divisions with the creation of a new company called Legacy Feed. One of our aspirations is being the largest swine management company in Indiana. This gets us there. And that's Kevin Still, president and CEO of Co-Alliance, talking about the co-op's new company called Legacy Feed. Co-Alliance says it has partnered with Signature Farms in Rush County to create the new feed manufacturing and swine management company with plans to build a new facility in Henry County, just east of Newcastle in Millville. We'll be feeding about an extra 760,000 pigs, so we're looking at the summer of 2024 uh, to be up and running and producing feed. Still says the creation of Legacy Feed will continue to help diversify the co-op's ag business portfolio. It's going to allow us to continue to grow uh, one of our core businesses, which is swine and animal nutrition, over on the east side of the state. Tim Burke of Carroll County serves as Co-Alliance's board chairman. He says the creation of Legacy Feed and the new feed mill in Henry County will be a benefit not just for Co-Alliance and its farmer owners, but for all grain producers across East Central Indiana. It's a win-win for everybody. I think it's also very exciting for the farmers in that area. If we're going to build a new feed mill, they'll have another place to sell grain. There'll be more competition for their grain, so I, I think it, it helps that too. The new feed mill facility in Henry County will support Co-Alliance's other Indiana feed mills in White County and in Whitley County. Read more at HoosierAgToday.com. Let's shift now from Indiana's ag news to the ag markets. Here's Andy Eubank. Thank you, CJ. And the markets had certainly a seesaw week, including a seesaw day in a muted manner on Friday to end the week. We have the settlements from Friday trade coming up. First market analysis and a look back at the week and a look forward to. I checked in for that with Brian Basting right near the end of trade Friday. Brian is with Advanced Trading. Brian, the market's mostly lower with corn trying to work out, maybe uh, eke out a higher close on Friday, but overall a negative bias in the grains and oil seeds. And as we look at soybeans and up and down week, Although soybean meal on Friday did show some strength, but in the soy complex, that was about it. Why? Well, we're seeing some um, underscore uh, modest improvement in the Argentine situation, Andy. The uh, Buenos Aires um, grain exchange came out on Thursday, and they noted that the soybean crop conditions had gone from just 7% good to excellent up to 12%. Now that's still well below last year at 38%. And I don't want to give your listeners the impression that this crop is out of the woods. Far from it, in fact. But maybe that was enough. And then the corn crop conditions improved from 12% good next one to 22%. They've had some more rain lately. Uh, I guess the, 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 the phrase that I would use is that, that those rains have bought the crop a little bit of time and maybe just led to a little bit of profit taking here and the soybean market anyway. 
Um, we've had some uh, challenge, as you said, the new contract highs in meal, but we did challenge the the recent highs in, in soybeans here this week and then backed off. Uh, corn is just kind of stuck in a hold holding pattern. Um, but um, overall, just some, some improvement in Argentine conditions, maybe just feel a little bit of, of, um, of selling here as, as the week wound down. The way you paint that, it almost sounds fickle. A little improvement here could pressure the markets, and a little decline there could bring back support. Is it, is it that fickle? I'd say definitely it is for the soybean market. And, and this is a, an evolving market concept also for, for corn. And here's why. Where there is, it's dry and hot in Argentina. And it's supposed to be very hot this coming week, mid-90s to 100s. And, and not much rain. In Brazil, we've had too much rain up north, and that's delayed the soybean harvest uh, and delayed the planting of the double crop corn. And why that's important is because the double crop corn in, in Brazil accounts for about 75, 80% of the crop. And that's the crop that competes directly with the U.S. and the world market. Analyst Brian Basting at Advanced Trading, his number 309-664-2314. Now more numbers, the Friday settlements, two and a quarter up on March corn, popping higher right near the end of trade, 677 and a half. And May goes up a penny and three quarters, 675 and a half. Two and a quarter down on March and May beans. March ends at 1532, May 1525 and a half, July also two cents lower. And March wheat off four and a quarter, going to 7.56 and three quarters. Mostly higher in the meats, but pretty quiet. April live cattle, 164.12, up 30. And April lean hogs, 86.47, up 47. And there's the market recap. You're up to date. I'm Andy Eubank. This is Hoosier Ag This Week. Trust. It takes time to obtain and just minutes to lose. Hoosier Ag Today is proud that over the past 18 years, we have gained and maintained the trust of Indiana farmers and farm families. On any given day, almost half of all the radios in trucks, barns, farm offices, and farmhouse kitchens are tuned to Hoosier Ag Today reports. The number one trusted source for agriculture information in Indiana is Hoosier Ag Today. Timely, relevant, credible. After a week's worth of cold temperatures, we start to moderate things just a bit this week. I'm Chief Meteorologist Ryan Martin with Hoosier Ag Today's Weekend Weather Outlook. Here's what's going on for the weekend in question. Today, we're starting off relatively cold. I think we end up being, quote, not as cold as we move into this afternoon. But we're still probably 24 to 48 hours away from talking about significant temperature moderation. Your Saturday, still going to be chilly, but you'll see those temperatures starting to come up later this afternoon. Tomorrow, I think we see a temperature moderation really take control. And then going into Monday of next week, that's when we can see our warmest temperatures surge in here. Over the next three days, we see partly to mostly sunny skies. The only cloud cover that's going to be popping up is cloud cover that is due to the cold start, particularly here today. Our next frontal complex slides through next to Tuesday. It's a minor cool front. Brings some scattered rain shower activity. I think at this point in a few hundreds to maybe two or three tenths. Coverage will be about 60% of Indiana. That initial front, not the story in my opinion. It's the fact that the front stalls out over southern Indiana. And then we see a strong area of low pressure come out of the lower to middle Mississippi 
River Valley lifting northeastward overnight Wednesday night through Thursday. That's where we could see a significant round of rain, maybe even some thunderstorms. Quarter to three-quarter inch rainfall totals is what I'm penciling right now. Coverage will end up being about 100% of the state, so a significant second wave of moisture later in the week, mostly on Thursday. Now, once that second wave gets through, we try and cool down, but never really see the cold Arctic air take back control. So Friday is going to stay mild. Saturday, I guess, we'll talk about a little bit of a cool down here. Temperatures slightly below normal with clouds and a little bit of light snow. But then Sunday the 12th, we're getting sunshine back, and we see a huge temperature moderation surge coming out of the southwestern United States for that week of the 13th. I think the week of the 13th could be quite mild across the region here. So there's been a lot of discussion as to whether this mild pattern and the fact that we only had one week worth of dry or rather cold air means that we're done with winter. No, we're, we're not done yet. There's still plenty of time for many more incursions of cold air. But remember, the one thing that we have helping us with staying away from the bitter cold temperature ranges is the fact that we are seeing an increase in sun angle each day. In the month of February alone, we gain about 69 to 70 minutes of sunlight. So that increasing sun angle allows for more atmospheric heating, which should keep us from some of the brutal cold temperatures that we saw back around Christmas and even temperatures that we saw this past week. I'm meteorologist Ryan Martin. Hey, Indiana farmers. You know that when it comes to corn success, it's yield first and everything else second. And in 2022 independent trials, Dairyland Seed brought the yield like no other all across the Hoosier State. We're talking 11 top five finishes, eight top three finishes, and three first place finishes. So when you're making the critical decision on what to plant this year, look no further than the seed proven to outperform Dairyland Seed. Find the corn hybrids bringing the most yield in your area at DairylandSeed.com. We've got the latest news in Indiana and U.S. agriculture on Hoosier Ag this week. I'm Eric Pfeiffer from Hoosier Ag Today. It's still relatively early in the Indiana legislative session, but Indiana Farm Bureau is already calling on its grassroots membership to help stop a bill that could impact your property rights. And it's one we've kind of seen before. Jeff Cummins, Associate Director of Policy Engagement for Indiana Farm Bureau, says the issue of carbon sequestration in your subsurface pore space that was defeated last year is back with some different wrinkles. In an interview from last year, Cummins explained that Wabash Valley Resources in West Terre Haute wants to manufacture hydrogen and ammonia. Capture their CO2, pipe the CO2 to injection wells over in Vigo and Vermilion counties, and then inject of that CO2, three to 4,000 feet into the subsurface pore space. Fast forward now to this year, Cummins explains that they're not opposed to what Wabash Valley Resources wants to do in terms of hydrogen and ammonia production. However, we are opposed to this bill and the separate standard under which it would allow them to operate. All other entities in the state must operate under the framework that we supported last year, House Enrolled Act 1209, which requires public notice and comment periods, consent of the landowners, good faith negotiations for the lease or sale of pore space, that subsurface pore space, where these entities, these companies want to store uh, carbon dioxide. Cummins says Senate Bill 451, which will be heard this morning by the Senate Environmental Affairs Committee, would give a special privilege for Wabash Valley Resources. Uh, where they would not have to get the consent of the landowners to inject CO2 under their property. They wouldn't have to successfully execute a contract uh, with those landowners to operate. Uh, and if a landowner declines uh, uh, an offer that the company would make, 
uh, the burden then falls on that landowner to sue them for compensation. So it's not only an uneven playing field for other companies in the state, and there are several that want to do this, but for landowners. Cummins reiterates this is a landowner's rights issue, not an issue with what Wabash Valley's end product would be. With this particular land market being so new... We don't have a great idea of what the value of poor space is, but you know how you figure that out? You have a company go make an offer, maybe a landowner accepts it or not, and they negotiate, and they, and they find a way or a price, a value, a contract uh, that, that's agreeable to both sides. And, and under this bill, um, a landowner doesn't have that a full opportunity to negotiate. Again, Indiana Farm Bureau is encouraging you to reach out to members of the Environmental Affairs Committee to express opposition to Senate Bill 451. Cummins shares more on this complicated issue in the Full Hat interview. You can find that and a link showing who those committee members are at HoosierAgToday.com. More now from the Indiana State House. Your home and property may or may not be sitting in a floodplain depending on which map you're looking at, whether it's coming from the DNR or FEMA. That's why one state senator is looking to change the law to get rid of the confusion. C.J. Miller has the story. Hopefully we can resolve what some people would say would be overreach of DNR. And that's Indiana State Senator and Senate Ag Chair Jean Lysing talking about the legislation she's co-written concerning Indiana's floodplain maps. There's one set from FEMA and another set of recently revised maps from the Indiana Department of Natural Resources. Many people in Indiana are finding themselves in a state floodplain and they've never been in a floodplain before. For the most part, they won't know it until they either apply for a building permit or they attempt to sell their property. So it's a really big issue because potentially it's devaluing some people's properties. Lysing says lawmakers were not notified of the DNR's new maps, which now supersede FEMA's maps as part of legislation that was passed and went into effect last year. And that's caused some complaints about DNR's floodplain maps. I would say more stringent than the federal FEMA maps. They would say more protective, okay, to give them a fair shake. I think because they didn't go through the regular process of getting those maps in statute that we needed to remove it for now and get everybody to talk about this. And if more rural properties are listed in floodplains, that could require more Hoosiers to have to pay more for additional floodplain insurance in order to get a mortgage or a property loan. Lysing's bill would revert back to FEMA's maps for guidance on Indiana's floodplain areas. It's not that we don't want to protect property, because we do. But we got to make sure that government isn't too heavy-handed, and that's what that's all about. Lysing's bill now heads to the full Senate for consideration. You can read the bill at HoosierAgToday.com. I'm C.J. Miller. All right, C.J., thanks. We've all been seeing the prices of eggs recently. They're up right around 49% from a year ago. A big reason why? 47 states have been hit in the past year by highly pathogenic avian influenza. Over 52 million birds have been destroyed. 40 million of those have been layers. And so I know folks are seeing the impact of egg prices at the retailer, and part of that is avian influenza. And that's Dr. Brett Marsh, Indiana's state veterinarian. Here in Indiana, the total number of birds affected is right around 228,000. Most of those were commercial turkeys, while just under 18,000 of them were commercial ducks. We've had 16 cases in our state in the last year. 
and others have been affected more heavily in other states, so I'm really proud of the work that's gone on to this point. You heard Marsh mention there that he's proud of the efforts of his staff at the Indiana Board of Animal Health and producers around the state who have been on high alert for anything out of the ordinary with their flocks, including high mortality. Marsh adds that producers will need to remain alert, as they've learned this will be around 12 months of the year. There used to be some seasonality, but that's no longer the case. We found during last summer, for example, that it oversummered with us, with Canada geese and mallard ducks that are asymptomatic, but they're carrying that virus. And so we have to be diligent to make sure that we're doing all we can from a biosecurity standpoint. Whether you have a small flock in the backyard or a large commercial interest, we're emphasizing biosecurity on all sites. Speaking with Marsh at Indiana Pork's Taste of Elegance event last week, he was sure to touch on African swine fever as well. He says we've done well so far, but the risk of ASF entering the U.S. is certainly still there. African swine fever has been diagnosed in Haiti and the Dominican Republic. First time in 40 years in the Western Hemisphere, so we have to be diligent with the swine industry as well. So our team at the Board of Animal Health and those in the pork industry have been great to work with to continue to do all we can to keep that disease out of the country. More information regarding avian influenza or African swine fever can be found on the Board of Animal Health website. You can find a link to that at HoosierAgToday.com. Also there, you can find more farm news and learn how you could nominate someone to be the 2023 Indiana Master Farmer Award winner. Again, that's HoosierAgToday.com. I'm Eric Pfeiffer, and this is Hoosier Ag This Week. Welcome back to Hoosier Ag This Week. I'm C.J. Miller with Hoosier Ag Today. Well, the push for broadband expansion across rural Indiana continues, as many ag agencies and state lawmakers agree that expansion is necessary, but it will take some time to get there. Much like electricity was almost a century ago, broadband is now that key infrastructure piece we have to have in rural communities. And that's Andy Tower, Executive Director of Public Policy with Indiana Farm Bureau. He says the organization has been pushing for broadband expansion as part of its rural infrastructure policies. Tower adds that expansion is becoming more necessary as newer farm machines are using computer software to sync up online to operate more efficiently. Connectivity is so vitally important, not only to the last mile, but really to the last acre, because the other thing that we're hearing from our members, that connectivity gives them the ability to make real-time sustainability conservation decisions on the fly in the field as they're working through those. So that's been a priority for our members for the last several sessions. State Senator Jean Lysing says she understands the need for greater broadband access for rural Hoosiers. During COVID, when our kids had to do a lot of things from home, we just didn't have the broadband capability. And so that's been a very difficult thing. Lysing adds that she knows what it's like personally for those in rural Indiana who don't have broadband access. At my house right now, my only access to the internet is my Verizon cell phone. But the reality is it's a tough thing to get the broadband expanded everywhere. It's very expensive. Coming up this June, more funding for broadband expansion will be given out through the Broadband Equity Access and Deployment Program 
as part of $65 billion approved by Congress in 2021 for broadband expansion across the U.S. Read more at HoosierAgToday.com. When it comes to your soybean fields this year, you shouldn't have to choose between powerful weed control and keeping your crop safe from stress and injury. That's why there's a new pre-emergence herbicide from Syngenta that does both for your soybeans. We've got a very broad portfolio at Syngenta when it comes to soybean products, and this is just another tool in our toolbox really to maximize yields. And that's Chad Threewitz, agronomy service representative with Syngenta, talking about Tindovo, their new broad-spectrum pre-emergence herbicide for soybeans. Really looking to maximize our, our weed management and really resistance management, focusing on uh, ragweeds, water hemp, giving us more residual than we probably ever had before in a soybean product. He says Tindovo not only controls weeds before they emerge, but it also doesn't cause unnecessary injury to your soybean crops. That's one thing that farmers, as we plant earlier, and we tend to see maybe some problems with some other products that can be harder on the beans. Um, this product has extremely good crop safety. I think that's important to get off to a good start. The beans get developed early in that season. Just really helps give us our full potential yield all throughout the year. Most of all, Threewit says that Tendovo can deliver more bushels, as well as a potential higher return on investment. One thing we talk about is better yield is the better deal. And really what we mean by that is it's not always about the lowest cost product out there it's what are the products that can return the most to that acre or the profit potential and understand it's not just about the the cheapest thing we can put out there it's about the product that will give us the most return back and make us the most profitable read more about tindovo pre-emergence soybean herbicide at syngenta-us.com you can also find that link at hoosieragtoday.com high interest rates supply chain issues and uncertainty in the weather these are just a few of the things that might cause you stress while running your farm or business Elise Koning reports there is an answer for your farm stress struggles. Angela Sorg, health and human sciences educator for Purdue Extension in DeKalb County, says we all experience stress, but some types of stress are worse than others. Some stress is great for us, like if my children run out into the road, I need to be stressed to alert me to go get them. But if stress interferes with our ability to live, laugh, love, and play the way that we need and or want to, then those are some red flags. Some of those red flags include struggling to take care of yourself mentally, physically, or emotionally. Others include isolating yourself or negative thoughts. Sorg says experiencing these symptoms may mean it's time to talk to someone. If I have a foot problem, I'm probably going to go to a podiatrist. If I have a mental health challenge, it might be a good idea to go see a specialist in that field to help me move through. Sorg also has served as a counselor in rural areas for more than 20 years and says she's aware of the stigma that surrounds seeking help for mental health challenges. I grew up in a situation where you just don't talk about it and if you do, you're weak or you're air quotes crazy. But Sorg says that seeking assistance will not only help you, it will help your family too. A mind shift is I want to help help my family move to the next level. So I know that in order to help my family do that, I need to be the best version of myself. There are several options available for talking with someone and financial help may also be available. Visit HoosierAgToday.com to learn more. I'm Elise Koning. Thank you, Elise. And that does it for this week's edition of Hoosier Ag This Week. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. For Andy Eubank, Eric Pfeiffer, Elise Koning, and Chief Meteorologist Ryan Martin, 
I'm CJ Miller. Who's your ag today? Indiana's most listened to farm radio network.